Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast, where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators, and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Amanda Marr, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a freelance technical author. Each month, the podcast team plan to bring you interviews with people working in technical communication across a diverse range of industries, as well as all the latest news and events from our profession. This month, I'm talking with David Farby, Technical Consultancy Director at Myriad Associates, about his varied career in tech comms and his journey to financial services. David was a council member of the ISTC, where he focused on continued professional development, education and training in our profession. He has also been chair of the annual TC UK conference and an associate lecturer on technical communication at Sheffield Hallam University. Welcome to the ISTC podcast, David. Uh, thank you very much, Amanda. Nice to be here. Great. Good to have you. I think I'm right in saying that few tech problems people take a direct route into the profession. We usually start doing something else and then find out that the role exists. And that was certainly my experience. Can you tell us how you came into the profession? Well, yes, uh, like you, I did not have a direct route. I was actually living in Israel at the time, and that was in the mid, uh, late 80s, early 90s. Technology boom was starting all over the world. And uh, I had a friend who was a software developer, and uh, he mentioned that they were looking for people who could write explanations and guidance in English, which, of course, I could do. Um, and uh, I had a degree in English literature, which is not explaining technology, but it's explaining some things. So I found a privately run school doing courses, and I did a course in technical communication. And I happened to speak to one of my colleagues who introduced me to another colleague who introduced me to a friend of theirs. who said, <laughs> we're looking for junior technical writers or less experienced people come along and meet our boss and see what you think of it. Oh, so wow. that's what happened. I, I thought of it and they thought well of me and I started. However, my first job was, uh, my first few months was less about writing and more about installing software. So <laughs> I, yeah. I spent quite a while in upgrading computers to Windows 3.11, so <laughs> uh, quite a long time ago. Anyway, then they let me write things, and I haven't looked back. So, yeah, so your techcoms career started in the IT industry then, I suppose. Yes. Most of my career has been in the IT industry, and most of that in software companies of various various sizes and descriptions. I've been an employee and I've been a department manager and I've also worked as a contractor and independent consultant uh, all over all sorts of places. And it's great because you learn about all sorts of different industries and all sorts of different technologies and basically how to explain them to other people. Um, and that's our job, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So at the moment, you're working for a financial services company. 
And That's right. how did that come about? Um, that came about because I was looking for a new job and they were looking for somebody who could write technical reports, reports about technology. Luckily, the person who was there before me uh, had been a graduate of the Portsmouth course in technical communication and therefore knew people in common. When I applied for the job, we was able to say, oh, yes, people know Mr. Farby. He might be worth interviewing. <laughs> so it's always a case of who you know. Yeah, um, right. definitely helps, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. What this job was looking for was people who could understand technology and write about technology in lots of different fields. They happen to have a large proportion of customers who are in the IT or IT-related industries. So my background was a very good fit. All right. So uh, that's what I started doing. And I've been with this company now for over six years. And uh, basically, my job involves a meeting, meeting our clients, understanding the work they're doing, and writing reports about their technology so that they can apply for either tax rebates or uh, grants uh, in order to work in R&D. All right. So who's the audience for the for the work that you do, for the reports that you write? Who is it who's reading them? Well, uh, as with many things, you have to think about multiple audiences. And in that way, it's no different from any other sort of technical communication. The first audience I have is is my client, the client company who wants to know that I've written something nice about their product, about their <laughs> work that they've been doing. The second audience depends. If it's for tax rebates, then it's uh, HMRC inspectors who are generally not technology experts. Ooh. They're experts in taxation. And we have to explain in our reports why, why the particular R&D activity that we're describing meets the HMRC guidelines on what is eligible and what isn't eligible. So that also involves explaining that to our customers and discussing it with them and making sure they understand what they're claiming for. Uh, we're doing due diligence uh, on their claim before we submit it, mainly because we don't want to have HMRC reject our claims. We yeah. think we've got a good reputation with them and we want to keep it. When it comes to uh, R&D grants, then it's whatever the grant making body is. Uh, we deal with EU grants. In fact, we operate in Ireland, so we still deal with EU grants for clients in Ireland. We deal with Innovate UK, which has now changed its name slightly, smart grants within the UK, uh, which are innovation grants. And uh, like the, uh, they follow a pattern. The grant making body expects you to answer a set of questions, uh, to not say, you know, there are word limits and page limits. You have to say the right thing in the right space, and you have to make a compelling case. Why is this new technology going to be successful, and why does it deserve government backing in the form of a grant? Oh, wow. Very interesting. I worked on a document with a company who were putting forward their case to, I think it was Innovate UK. I worked with them a couple of years ago. It's quite fascinating. Yes, and the reason that applicants want to work with a company like ours is because our team includes accountants as well as writers. 
so we yeah. can help them develop the business plan, which is a very important part of the grant application, uh, as well as writing the text of the application uh, to make the, the compelling case in the narrative of describing what they want to do. And the same thing with uh, R&D tax. We write the narrative which describes work that's been done and our accountancy team makes sure that the costs that are being claimed meet the uh, HMRC guidelines for what costs can be claimed and so on. So it's interesting to work as part of a, a team which does the two-pronged attack both in the descriptive side, which I'm responsible for, and the cost and tax side, which my colleagues, I'm glad to say, are, are responsible for. You know, you tend to think of accountancy uh, as, you know, your profit and loss, your balance sheet. But then it's the process of explaining that to somebody who doesn't understand what they mean. That's what, what That's you're doing. That's what our company does. That's why we work together and do that. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. In the job that you're doing at the moment, then, do you use any tools to put that information together? We have very basic tools compared to some of the things that I, I used to work with when I was in software companies that considered themselves cutting edge. So we are, <laughs> you know, our company uses Microsoft 365. So we use Microsoft Word for documents. And sometimes we submit them as PDFs, depending on where they're going. Some of the work is even even more basic than that, because some of the grant application systems, you have to fill in an online form. Ah, and yes. It doesn't matter what what you've used, but using Microsoft Word, it's, the truth is that it is very well established and very well accepted in all parts of the business community. There are very, very few clients for whom a Word document is, is not something they can open and, and read and deal with. Yeah, so exactly. in my previous roles, FrameMaker, RoboHelp, all sorts of things. You said that you've worked in mainly software companies, and I had a look at your LinkedIn. You've done some quite unusual things, working with marine navigation and subsea oh, systems. Yeah. Well, that was, that was, I said most of my career was in software development, not all of it. <laughs> so, yes, I worked for a couple of years for a marine engineering company. Again, I was writing a user manual, but the product I was describing was uh, gyroscopic compasses for subsea vehicles. If you think about it, vehicles that go under the sea, either to lay undersea pipelines or to check undersea pipelines, they can't use normal compasses because they're underwater. So they use gyroscopic compasses. Some use fiber optics, some use other means. Very interesting uh, technology. Yeah. But there I had to work with engineers for the particular product I was working on. There was a small amount of, of embedded software that was used and a lot of embedded hardware. But that sort of company deals with all sorts of types of engineering. Uh, the body of this gyroscopic compass is, is made of titanium and it has to withstand pressure at 3,000 feet under the sea or even 6,000 feet under the sea if you get the, the stronger version. Of course, there's, there's no user and there's no user interface. Uh, it yes. just plugs into another machine. And yeah. But then again, there's all sorts of electrical engineering terms that I had to become aware of and had to understand and learn. And I think the nice thing about a career in technical communication is that it's a learning experience. Every year you're, you're learning 
and you're experiencing new technologies and trying to understand them and then explaining them to other people. Every week I'm working with a different client. Next week I'm working with somebody who is making uh, medical devices. So, you know, it's it's different all the time. Yeah, it's that process of having gone through and learned about very different things than you're trained to understand is, uh, is one of the skills of, of a technical communicator. Yes, I tell people that I learn the science and engineering by osmosis, by <laughs> sitting, near, sitting near the people or even sitting on a Zoom call with the people who know, asking yes. questions, reading up enough so that I don't sound like an idiot when I ask the question. Uh, and uh, hopefully being able to explain that back to other people. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's the ability to learn about things, and it's also the, the soft skills, because when you're working in, a, if you're in a, the technical writer for a software company and you're working with a development team, you've got to know how to talk to developers and testers and managers as well. So in this job, I've borrowed those skills from, I'm no longer interviewing the developer in my own team. I'm interviewing my client, the CTO of this company and saying, what did you do when? Why was this innovation? What else did you try and do first? And so on, to make sure that I can present the narrative in a way that will show without a doubt that it's R&D and worthy of a grant or worthy of a tax rebate. Yes, yeah. Often in a lot of industries, they have standards that they follow, either simplified technical English or there may be ISO standards that they have to follow. Are there any standards for financial industry? Well, it's funny you should mention standards because the standards in the financial industry, they apply to financial institutions. Um. Financial institutions are highly regulated. Now, in our job, we have to know one small set of regulations about the type of tax relief we're dealing with, but we're covered by general accountancy standards. For example, we all have to go through anti-money laundering training that we're not going to accidentally help somebody launder money, even though it's a very remote possibility in the work we're actually doing. But because we're dealing with company tax, even those of us who aren't accountants have to pass certain tests. So there are standards. And in other parts of the financial industry, Every time new regulations come out, that creates work for technical writers. Because, of course. Yeah, when, when new banking regulations come out, uh, the banks need to have people who are going to rewrite their operational manuals so that the staff know how to work in compliance with the new regulations. And luckily for technical writers in that industry, There are new regulations every couple of years. I know people who've done a lot of work. They start work in a bank doing one set of regulations, updating the operational manuals. By the time they're finished, there's a new set of regulations. They have to start all over again, like painting the fourth bridge. You can't finish before you have to start again. Technical writers can also be working on on internal projects within the financial industry because And it's something that I've done myself in the past. Financial institutions do develop their own in-house software because they are doing all sorts of complicated maneuvers uh, with financial products and and financial services. The services they offer their clients are because they can 
move money faster, earn interest more quickly, uh, show a better investment. And all this is done by software departments within the banks and financial institutions. And there you've got a role where you need somebody to write the user guide for the internal software. So again, I, uh, I had to learn what credit default swaps were in order to write the user guide for the internal software in this bank. Yes. Now, the fact is, this is going back a few years, and that bank no longer exists. But I hope it's not, I hope it's just correlation and not causation that I wrote that. <laughs> Nothing to do with your writing. No, 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 no. your manuals. <laughs> I go past the building in, if I, in central London where I work. It's a different bank that owns that building now. So, so obviously it was so successful it was bought by another one. That's what it is. Well, <laughs> let's, have, <laughs> let's say that, shall we? <laughs> I noticed that there was a, a very strong theme of education and professional development all the way through. The fact that you were an associate lecturer, were involved in the CPD development with um, the ISTC. Why is it that you're interested in that area? Well, I, my, my association with Sheffield Hallam University began as a student. At the time, they had an MA in technical communication course. Uh, which was done by distance learning, which I did. And after I passed, I was invited to help manage the course going forward. And so over the course of about 10 years, I helped other students and I led various courses and uh, helped in a small way develop some of the materials. So I was involved in teaching technical communication. So I was already interested in that. And I was a member of the ISTC, and I was aware that the ISTC had, at that time, the uh, former City and Guilds courses in technical communication had been closed down, and the ISTC had bought the rights to continue those courses. Uh, and some of the independent trainers who were members of ISTC, long-standing members of ISTC, and had been independent trainers for city and guilds wanted to continue as independent trainers for the ISTC. Uh, so I spoke to some friends of mine who were on the ISTC council with suggestions about how things could possibly be improved. Yeah. Um, and in, in the light of, um, under the old adage of never volunteer for anything, I found myself on the ISTC council for the next nine years. Um, <laughs> First, we tried to revise the syllabus. Then we tried to run the courses ourselves. And we didn't have the necessary infrastructure as an organization to enable us to do that. So what we did was we did two things in the ISTC. The first is that we introduced a CPD program, which was open-ended, to encourage people to see their career in technical communication as something professional that needed development. It's not just a job, it's a profession, and you can learn more all the time, whether that's practical, whether that's tool use, whether that's communication theory, anything that you feel is contributing to your career can contribute to your CPD. And the idea of ISTC CPD is the only difference is we would like, like you to keep a record of it. Alongside that, 
we introduced an accreditation scheme in which we reviewed courses available from private providers and we gave them a seal of approval. But if you're an independent provider of courses in the UK, anywhere in fact, and you'd like the ISTC to approve your course, then for a very, very modest, modest fee, uh, <laughs> we will review it. And if we think it's going to be useful for our members at whatever level, then we'll say, yes, this is an accredited course and uh, our members will be encouraged to consider choosing it if they're choosing a course. So those two ideas are to make us more professional. We do what we can and we try and encourage people. Exactly. Same, I mean, that's that's what you can do, isn't it, is, is to provide the framework, uh, provide all the elements, and, uh, and then the encouragement. The second aspect of my work with, within ISTC Council came from that. Uh, when TC UK needed somebody to organise it, uh, I stepped up and took over. Um, I was going to do it for three years. I ended up doing it for four years. That's a very exciting job to do. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the question now comes up is, is a three-day residential conference the best way that we can serve our members. Yes. Now, uh, after a year of lockdown, when yes. everyone is so much more comfortable with online events, now we've got these monthly mini TC UK events, which are online and don't involve taking three days off and going to stay in a hotel somewhere. So yeah. you get the education. Now, having a having a, an in-person conference has has a, has a additional advantages that you don't get from sitting behind your computer screen watching a presentation. Absolutely. So maybe we'll get back, you know, maybe not to three-day residential conferences, maybe just to to one-day events, but I think we, we should get back there at some point. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the, the conferences, uh, I found the workshops really, really valuable. In fact, it was one of the workshops where I think it was Ellis Pratt did a workshop on podcasts which got me thinking about doing this. And okay. uh, so, so it's his fault. <laughs> right. Good. You always blame Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The conferences, they are so valuable that actually, you know, having those conversations over the coffee machine and, and of an evening having those chats over a glass of wine, so much information is passed around. So it would be nice to see them come back again. Uh, you just can't do it online. It's not the same. No. <laughs> so with you saying that you've done, done all this volunteering, um, what have you got out of it? Because you also volunteered for STC Europe for a short time. Yeah. Well, the, ST, the STC is a US-based organization for technical communicators. Um, I mentioned earlier that I was living in Israel at one time. And they yeah. had an STC branch in Israel that I was involved with. Um, oh. When I came to the UK, I was involved first with the STC UK branch when it existed, no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Again, I left and it stopped existing, but that's not cause and effect. <laughs> There's no um, link there. There's no link there. <laughs> I remember, you know, 20 years ago when you used to go down to the video store to rent a video, we joined a local one here and uh, after about six months it closed down and we joined another one locally 
and after six months, that turns down. And, and then my wife said, well, you know, we shouldn't go to these small independent ones. We should join a big chain like yeah. Blockbuster. Yeah. And then that kind of You're starting to get a little bit paranoid, were you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just keeping my fingers crossed about Netflix now. <laughs> Why did you volunteer and what did you gain out of it? Because I wanted to help and I enjoy helping people. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, particularly with TC UK, it was very rewarding to do that because you put in a lot of work getting delegates, getting speakers, especially getting the speakers, arranging the program, finding the venue, finding the, the services, the, you know, the, the audiovisual services that you need for, for a conference, getting all that package together yeah and a lot of work and a lot of effort and then one day it happens and you've yeah. got smiling people enjoying the conference that you've that you've organized and and that's really very a very good feeling yes uh, so that's basically why and I, I think you'll hear this from other people who, who volunteer in istc and in all sorts of other organizations it's very rewarding. We, you know, generally speaking, people in the West are, are materially well off well, compared to lots of places in the world, even. Yeah. Uh, but we are, we are time poor because yeah. we're so busy with all sorts of things and all sorts of things that we do. You know, what, what do you get out of it? Not, not much. But if you are giving your time to an organization that is helping people, helping people advance their careers, helping people network within their professional organizations. Yeah. Then that, that I, I found that very rewarding. Yeah. Um, and I'd say to people, you know, if, if you can't, if you want to do something different from the, the daily grind of work and, and home responsibilities, find something that interests you. See if you can help out an hour a week, two hours a week, doing something different, I think it enriches yeah. your life. I mean, uh, just I mean yeah, it gives you that different perspective as well, doesn't it? Doing something outside Absolutely. of your normal, your normal little bubble. So, David, what are you going to move on to next? I'm now at sort of another turning point in my career in that I'm going to be quite soon, I'm going to be stopping full-time work because I've reached an age when that sort of thing is appropriate. But I'm still going to be around and I'm still going to be in the industry and I'm still going to be, you know, doing doing odd jobs, I hope, and doing consultancy and short term work where I can where I can find it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hoping, you know, to help people from my experience. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. If you want to connect with David, you can find him on LinkedIn and you can find Myriad Associates at myriadassociates.com. So looking to events happening next month in May, we have TCUK Online have their next webinar on Tuesday, the 11th of May at one o'clock. Michael Ingledew, Managing Director of Tech Data World, We'll be talking about the changing role of technical publication in product support, focusing on aerospace, defense, and space domains. 
The full list of webinars for 2021 is now listed on the TC UK website. Go to technicalcommunicationuk.com. Email istc at istc.org to be added to the webinar mailing list and you will get a monthly reminder. For German speakers, TCOM Europe have their monthly webinar this month on the 27th of May, again at 1 p.m. Dr. Gertrude Grunveed will be doing a talk on modern software documentation. For more information, go to TCOM's website, that's technical-communication.org, and search for webinars, and it will take you to their webinar page. Looking further ahead, there are a number of online conferences happening in June. The Omni Channel Conference is online on June the 8th to the 11th. The conference focuses on designing content around the customer. Firehead Digital Communications have a good piece explaining what the conference offers, and they have a competition to win free tickets. But if you're not feeling lucky, they also have a 30% discount on tickets and workshops. Go to firehead.net to find out more. STC, based in the USA, is the world's largest professional association for technical communication. They're having their summit conference on the 5th to the 9th of June. You can find more information about this conference at summit.stc.org. And if you want a conference that focuses on software documentation, Evolution of TechCom Digital Event, organized by TCOM, is happening on June the 9th to the 11th. For more information, go to evolution-of-tc.com. That's it for this month. Join us next month when we have our first guest host. Imogen Craigmile, who you will remember from March's podcast, has joined the team and will be taking the helm in May chatting with Joanna Suo, technical author at Open Market. Remember that the UK TC awards are open for applications and the deadline is the 31st of July. Also, this month we should see the results of the ISTC annual survey for 2021. It will be interesting to see how the pandemic has affected our profession. If you have a question about the podcast, email me at istc at istc.org.uk. A new episode of this podcast is released on the last Friday of every month. I want to thank David Farby for being my interviewee today, and thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can find out more about the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators at istc.org.uk or just search ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to tune in next month. Goodbye.